seasons and places and times I've been in my life. And you can probably identify at some point, if you want to admit it, with the prophet Jonah as well. Well, if you haven't got your Bibles open yet, turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. And I, and I know I just want to have some fun for just a minute. I know you're probably wondering, those are some snazzy shoes. Where did he get them from? It's amazing what you can buy at Sam's. I'm telling you, they got everything there. But anyway, Jonah chapter 2 is where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, you know, this whole series is about the grace of God. Aren't you glad he's a graceful God? Man, he, he really, he's a God of grace, God of love. Uh, he's, he's, we don't like to talk about this, but he's a God of anger every now and then too. But for this series, we're looking at the grace of God. So every type of message that I'm going to bring you, whether you come on Sunday morning or, or Wednesday night, rather, for we're in Jonah as well on Wednesday night, going a little bit deeper, if you will. It's all going to be some aspect of the grace of God. I've called this sermon, and you see it on the screen. Y'all see that? A fish called what? Grace. A fish called grace. You said, really? Yeah, give me some liberty there. We'll get to it in just a minute. A fish called grace. I heard about a Sunday school teacher that was teaching a group of middle school boys. And, uh, and let me just go off on another tangent, if you will. Um, if you're a Sunday school teacher, thank you for what you do. Especially, especially our, yeah, especially our kiddos and those in middle school. Um, I vividly remember all of my Sunday school teachers to this day, I remember them like it was yesterday. Um, and I remember the person that taught me middle school and high school for pretty much every Sunday he was in there. Uh, his name was Bruce, worked for the railroad. Um, really wasn't that great of a teacher. I mean, he really wasn't. I mean, he, he, he took out his Lifeway book. You know, we all have books from Lifeway or the Sunday school boards, the old name. And, um, and he might have prepared for the lesson. I'm sure he did, because I, I want to say I even remember he highlighted everything in the book or underlined it, all right? But um, he pretty much read the lesson. And I had a friend say, I could stay home and read the lesson. Uh, yeah, I get that. But hey, you know what? As an older guy, uh, God's told the church not to neglect our gathering together. But, um, but anyway, I mean, Bruce really wasn't that great of a teacher. But here's one thing I remember about Bruce. He's, he's a, well, I remember a lot of things about Bruce. One is he's a Southern Yankee, born up in Maine, got married to a girl um, out of the Navy, um, and wound up in Graniteville, of all places, working for the railroad out of Augusta, Georgia. But anyway, wasn't really a good teacher, but this is what I will always remember about Bruce. He loved me. And somebody like that makes a difference in the life of people that you sit under. So anyway, I think of Bruce and I think of a story like this. A guy was teaching a group of middle school boys and he's teaching them through the book of Jonah. And he gives them this challenge, if you will. He said, um, I'll give $5. And he's in a Baptist church. I'll give $5 to the, to the boy next Sunday that can tell me the name of the fish that swallowed Jonah. So the next week rolls around and little Billy says, hey, I know the answer to that, teacher. And the teacher's like, oh, yeah. Show me in the scriptures where you come up with the name of the fish. And he took his teacher to Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, reading out of the King James Version, mind you, and this is what he read. Out of the belly of hell cried Jonah. <laughs> now let me just tell you, that I don't think that was the name of that fish, do y'all? But that's probably where Jonah thought he was. But that wasn't the name of that fish, and, and the name of that fish was not Nemo or Moby Dick, and it wasn't a fish called Wanda. But if it was anything, you could have called it a fish called grace because that's what we see in this whole chapter here, chapter 2. That fish 
God used as an instrument of his grace to bring back a wayward prophet. A wayward prophet was Jonah. Mm. So let's read our text for today. Jonah chapter 2. We're going to read the entire chapter. It's just 10 verses. So follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. Here's what the Bible says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And this is what he said. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around or wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word today. Um, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the life of your church here in Sheraw, for what you're doing in the life of your church around the world. And Lord, we thank you for your grace, and your grace is enough. Help us to remember that when times get tough. And Lord, like Jonah, help us even when times are tough. And Lord, I pray we do it when times aren't tough. I pray that we'll just be a people of prayer, and we'll come to you, and we'll seek your face, and we'll serve you. And we do all of that just because of one word, and that's, that's your grace. So Lord, will you remind us today of the power of your grace? And today I pray that those of us gathered, be it here or watching online, might be transformed more into the likeness of your Son through your powerful and amazing grace. And then, Lord, I pray for those that may be here that's never trusted in you. And may they be like Jonah today and cry out to you so that they might experience your saving, your saving grace in their life. We pray in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. You know, the book of Jonah is unlike any other book in the Old Testament. And, uh, and Jonah is unlike any of the other prophets we see in the Old Testament. You say, well, how so? Well, in every book in the Old Testament where, where God uses a prophet, it's like God wants to use that prophet as his mouthpiece so that a people might be transformed. But here in Jonah, it's like the reverse. God's really wanting to see his man transformed. Because Jonah, I don't know if you can identify, I can identify, and there's, there's seasons and there's times in my life where I really need God just to get a hold of me, and I need to be transformed more so into the image and likeness of his son. So throughout this book, we see Jonah being changed by God. Now, just listen to what, is, what Jonah's life is like. Uh, we see Jonah in this book fighting against God. Uh, we see him working for God. We see him running into God. And then what we see here in chapter 2 is, he's, is that he's running to God. And when he runs to God, he experiences the grace of God. So we're going to talk about the grace of God this morning and how it's working in Jonah's life. And I know you know the story, but if, if you will, give, let me just elaborate and just go back and, and recap for you where we are. You know, what chapter 1 was all about so that you can really start maybe with a fresh page here on Jonah chapter 2. Jonah's given a message from God. 
And the message that God gives his prophet is, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach a message of judgment. Uh, tell them they need to repent, our judgment's coming. And for all of you guys that met me in 33 this morning, when I think of these guy movies like Braveheart and stuff like that, the, uh, uh, the face of a man is one of a king and a warrior. Uh, we talked about some things like that this morning. I think of... Um, I think of Braveheart here in, in many respects here when I think of this of Jonah here saying, hey, I don't know if I want to do that. Uh, he's, he's definitely not being a Mel Gibson type character here, is he? He's wanting to be wayward. He's a wayward prophet, if you will. God say, go to Nineveh, warn them judgment's coming. Makes me think of Tombstone as well. That's another good guy movie. Judgment's coming. Anyway, so he hears this. He hears a, a clear voice from God, and he says, there ain't no way I'm going to Nineveh. And the reason he doesn't want to go to Nineveh is that Nineveh is a part of the kingdom of Assyria, and they are the sworn enemies of the Hebrews. So Jonah says, you know, I just want to turn in my card. I no longer want to be a prophet. I'm getting out of town here. I'm getting out of Dodge. I'm, I'm running. I'm doing my own thing. So he gets on a ship, and he goes as far away from Nineveh as possible, at least he wants to. And he gets on a ship heading to Tarshish, and you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. God hurled a storm at Jonah and all those that were on the ship. And, and Jonah wound up overboard, right? Y'all remember that? If you didn't, you remembered it from the little video clip we showed. And as Jonah is really going into the deep, God providentially, miraculously, had this fish that was appointed to swallow him. So, so three truths, if you will, about God's grace that we see from Jonah chapter 2. And by the way, Jonah chapter 2, when I think of not only Jonah 2 do I see the grace of God, I see the prayer of a man of God that was running from God. I mean, this whole version, this whole chapter, rather, in chapter 2 here, is Jonah just being on his knees, the end of his rope, if you will, and he's crying out to God in prayer. And that should remind us, prayer should never be our last resort, but our what? Our first resort. But oftentimes, if it's true for you, it's probably true for me, and vice versa. It's not until God has us on our knees when we are about to go into the deep that we begin to even pray. So Jonah is at a point now where he's really crying out to God in prayer. And what a beautiful prayer this is that we see here in chapter 2. I don't think Jonah was in the belly of that fish riding it on the, the, the stomach lining of that fish. But I think it was so embedded within his heart, he knew exactly what, what, what he had cried out to God in prayer. And he writes it to us so that we could know what was in his heart as he cried out to God. For three days and three nights... He's there crying out to God to save him. And he experiences the grace of God. So three truths about the grace of God. And here's the first one. By his grace, because of his grace, God hears us. When you cry out to God as a child of God, hey, man, this ought to put a smile on your face. You're a child of God. He's going to hear you when you pray. Man, that's what a beautiful thing that is to know that you're so loved by the great I am that he hears you when you cry out to him in prayer. Even if your cry to him is one that's a shout, like Jonah did, or even if it's just a simple whisper. Look at verses 1 and 2. They're, they're really a turning point in the life of Jonah. Up till now, he's been running from God, and now we see that he's running to God. And, and this isn't on the screen, but con consider with me, if you will, what's going on with Jonah. Uh, four things I want you to briefly consider with me. Where Jonah was was obviously where he was, but we're going to talk about that. How he felt, we can imagine how he felt, right? Uh, what he did, and then how God responded. Just notice those four things before we go any further here. First of all, notice with me where he was. 
He's in the belly of what? He's in the belly of a fish, all right? Verse 2 says that he's in the belly of Sheol, and if you're using the King James, which is um, a really beautiful translation of God's Word, uh, it's Old English, though, so it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to grasp, especially now in our day, but it's still beautiful prose and poetry, just a little bit different language here, but it uses the language of, in the King James, he's in the belly of hell, and it's really the word Sheol, and it means the, the grave, if you will. So Jonah is like saying, man, I've got one foot in the grave. You've heard of people saying they got one foot out the door? <laughs> Jonah's saying he's got one foot into the grave here. I mean, he's as good as dead. That's how he feels. He's like, there ain't no way I'm getting out of here. Surely I'm dead as a doornail. So, so he's, he's a rebellious rebel. He's a rebellious prophet in the hands of an angry God. And it's almost as if God has given him a foretaste of hell. And he's experiencing that there in the belly of that fish. So he cries out to God. He says, I'm in the belly of Sheol. I'm in the world of the dead. Surely I'm going to be dead. Because if we were in Jonah's shoes, we probably would think, surely we're going to be dead as well. So that's just how, that's, that's where he was. And that's kind of how he was feeling as well. He, he says in verse 2 that he cried out in distress. Hey, Dor, you really think he was in distress? Absolutely. He was very, very anxious, if you will. That word distress means anxious. It means to be in deep, deep need. He was really in deep too, wasn't he? So he's in deep need. He's experiencing trouble and, and turmoil. He was probably seeing that old Baptist hymn that's in the Baptist hymn, even in the Broadman, I'm sure. Troubles and Trials. Y'all remember that? All right, he's, he's seeing that before it was even written. Troubles and Trials here. That's how he felt. So he really felt anxious. He felt distressed. And, and, and we really, we have no idea what he was going through. We can only imagine the physical torment he was under, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual torment. And then he shares with, her, with us here in verses 2 through 6 a living nightmare that he's going through, and he's basically reaping what he sowed. Y'all remember, he didn't want to go to Nineveh for a number of reasons. And one, he was really biased. He, 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 he was like rejoicing. All right, God, you're going to wipe them out of the face of the earth. And now God's given him a taste of his own medicine. You want a Nineveh wiped off? Jonah experienced. Experienced what she wanted them to experience. Hmm. So, so what did he do? When he's at his lowest point of, of his life, he did what we often do when we're at the lowest point of our life, but let's not wait till we're at the lowest, lowest point of our life to simply pray. And the Bible says in verse 2 that he called out to the Lord. That word called out means to shout. All right? So he's in the belly of that fish shouting his prayer to God. And, and uh, poor old fish, he's probably thinking, what in the world did I eat? You know, man, what did I swallow? What is going on in my tummy here? What Jonah's going on is what's going on. And he's crying out to God. Have y'all ever, ever been in a place where you just your prayer was like a shout? I have, thank the Lord, nobody was around. But yeah, my prayers sometimes have just been open conversations and they're not flowery and they're not perfect grammar. I'm just talking. And sometimes I can get vocal with them. You're a preacher, well, you've probably been there too. I know y'all can get vocal. I know how some of y'all act at ball games. I know y'all can get vocal. So, um, so, so he's shouting out his prayer to God. Then verse 2 says, not only did he call out to God, but he cried out to God. So it's, it's even more intense. So not only is he getting loud, he's, he's screaming at his lungs. So there again, poor old whale, or fish rather, poor old fish. So, so each word, it's like he gets a little more desperate. 
Uh, you know, musically speaking, speaking, Richard, it's like a crescendo here. As, as the more and more he prays, the louder he gets. You know, we just finished the seven statements of Jesus on the cross, and as the, Jesus hung on the cross for me and for you for our sins, so that we might have everlasting life and have forgiveness. Jesus' words, the longer he was on the cross, uh, diminished. Uh, diminuendo, right? Not crescendo, but diminuendo, right? All right, Jonah, in his last words here, while he's in the belly of the fish, is just really increasing. He's shouting. He's getting louder and louder and louder. He's crying out to God. That's how desperate he is. Y'all ever been there? That's where Jonah is. He's in a desperate situation. And notice how God responded. The Bible says that God answered him. At the lowest depths Jonah could ever get in his life, he cries out to God, and God heard him. May I tell you something? Ain't no matter how low you can go, God can hear you when you cry out to him. That's how much God loves you. Your cry, your prayer doesn't fall on deaf ears. Your, your cry, your prayer falls upon a living God who hears you. Now, he may not answer your prayers the way you want them, him to answer them, but he hears your prayers. If I were to ask you, do you believe in prayer? Everybody would say what? Yes. Oh, that was pretty lame. Y'all believe in prayer? Yes. Do we pray? Don't answer. Because sometimes I think the heart of the issue is not that we don't pray or believe in prayers, that we just simply don't take time to prayer. There's a, a man by the name of Edwin Orr who was a Christian speaker, and he would frequent college campuses for years, and uh, he would get students um, into an auditorium, and he would just speak to them, and he would often get them to understand there's a difference between saying you believe something and saying you trust something. So he would often talk about uh, marriage, if you will, and he would have a young lady come up on the stage. I'm not about to do that to any of y'all, but he would have a young lady come up on the stage, and he would ask her questions like this. Do you believe in marriage? And she would say, well, yes. And then he would say, well, well why do you believe in marriage? And she might answer, well, it provides companionship, uh, romance, uh, intimacy. It provides an environment to raise children. Y'all know how the, you know the right answers that you would say if you were to call up on stage and ask if you believe in marriage. So, uh, so he says, so you believe, based on how you answered, you believe in marriage. Well, yes, I do. I believe in marriage. So are you married? Well, no. Well, wait a minute. You said you believe in marriage, but how come you're not married? Well, God hadn't brought me a, a man in my life to marry, so I, I can't be committed to somebody I'm not married to. But wait a minute. You say you believe in marriage. So y'all see where I'm going with this? The point of his whole argument was, was that if you say you believe in something, you, you need to commit to it, you need to trust to it, and you really believe in the deepest heart of your, uh, deepest reaches of your heart that you really believe what you say you believe. My point is this, if we say we believe in prayer, we ought to be people of prayer. And not wait till we're in Jonah's situation to start praying. I love what the Bible says over in Psalms 86, verse 5. I wish this was one slide, but, um, but here's what it says. For you, O Lord, are good. And what? Forgiving. Man, think, about that. think about that just for a second. For you, O Lord, are good. You see a good God? Amen, right? You see a forgiving God? Amen. But he, he's good and he's forgiving. And then the last part of this verse goes like this. Abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. So because of his grace, because of his love for you, he's going to hear you because you're his child when you call to him in prayer. Now with me, say amen if you are. All right, so let's, let's, look, at, let's look at the second point, if you will. 
Uh, you know, because you're his, because of his grace, God disciplines us. Like, oh, preacher, go to the next slide. Let's not talk about discipline. No, nah, no, nah, I'm not letting you off the hook that easy. Now, that kind of makes sense, right? Fishing, Jonah, a well, a hook, fish, and a hook. All right. So God disciplines us because we belong to him. Look in your Bibles at verses 3 and 6, and, and, and we see here that Jonah really is getting a picture. He's understanding what God is doing in his life. He knows God is dealing with him, and here's what he says here in verse 3. He says, For you, O God, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your ways, all of your billows passed over me. Uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrase, I like how it reads. It, it reads this way, You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy seas. So, so God, or, or Jonah knew rather, what God was doing. Jonah's a wayward prophet. God's bringing him back. And he's using discipline to do that. And Jonah's like, all of your ways, all of your billows are passing over me. He knows exactly who those ways belong to. They, they're God's ways. Those billows, those stormy seas, surging seas, sur surging waves, if you will, are God's billows. So even though it may look like everything was out of control, Jonah knew that God was in control. So whenever you feel like everything's out of control, we serve a mighty God who is in control even when we might find ourselves in a hopeless situation. Do you, if y'all were Jonah, do you think you were in a hopeless situation? Oh, yeah! You're in the belly of a fish. Surely you're not going to come out of this alive. But Jonah's got hope. You say, how do you know he's got hope? Well, keep on reading. Verse 4 says, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet shall I'm, I'm going to look again into the temple. There's going to be a day in my life where again I'm going to be there in Jerusalem. And I want to be gazing upon your, te your, your, your temple there. That's Jonah's testimony. He says, hey, I know right now I'm, I'm far away from you, God, but you're bringing me back. And there's going to be another time in my life where I'm going to be in Jerusalem gazing at your temple. I'm going to be in your presence. So Jonah knew and he understood that God was disciplining him. And he also understood this. He belonged to God. Because if you belong to God, you can't expect, yeah, somebody said it, discipline. Now, just let me say this. Um, discipline's hard, isn't it? It's hard to dish it out, and it's also hard to receive it, but, but God disciplines those that he loves. Over in Revelation, what a beautiful verse this is. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous uh, and, and repent. <laughs> So Jesus is saying, hey, I, I love you so much, I'm going to discipline you, so, so be zealous, therefore, and repent. And that's what God wants us to do. That's why he disciplines us. He disciplines those who belong to him. Hey, if you're not saved, you ain't got anything to worry about. He ain't going to discipline you. But if you're his child, expect it. He'll discipline you. Um, it's, it's never fun to discipline those you love, though, is it? I discipline my kids. I'm not going to discipline somebody else's kids because <laughs> they're not mine. I discipline mine. I know where they live. You know, a friend of mine who's a pastor, his name's Tim, just a great guy. Um, Tim was telling me a story. Tim's got stories. Most pastors do, don't they? But Tim was telling me a story of how um, he was at a restaurant one day with his wife, Donna, and there was a mother and an unruly child sitting with her. And it was just really making, you know, their dinner date just really kind of uncomfortable. 
and the child wouldn't behave, wouldn't listen to the mother, and the finally the mother said, you see that man over there? He's going to spank you if you don't behave. And Tim's like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you don't discipline other people's children, but you discipline yours. And that's what God does to us whenever we go wayward. And while my discipline has probably never been perfect every now and then, and if you're a parent, you can agree with me on that, it's hard to discipline perfectly all the time. Um, God disciplines perfectly all the time. I heard about a master stone carver from England, and his name was Simon uh, Variety, or Variety rather, and he learned the art of stone carving by working on 13th century cathedrals over there in England. Pretty cool, if you ask me. The basic tools of his trade, Todd, you'd like this, the basic tools of his trade was a, was a hammer, a chisel, a punch, and a rasp. And he always knew which one of those to, to use whenever he was doing his craft of, of carving in stone. And if you were to ask him, well, what's the secret of your trade? You know what he would say? The secret of my trade is that I learned to listen to the rock. Y'all ever heard a rock speak? My middle school mascot was the Fighting Rocks. I never figured that out. How does a rock fight? Well, that was my middle school mascot, the Fighting Rocks. I, I never heard a rock fight, and I never heard of a rock that spoke. But this master stone carver said, I listen to, to the sounds that the stone makes whenever I use any of my particular instruments. So I always adjust the force, and I always adjust what tool I'm using as I listen to the rock. And I share that with you to say this, God is so very similar. I mean, he always uses the right tools to discipline us. He always uses that, the, the right place and the right time, and he always uses the right force. So let me just share with you some ways that God disciplines us. And one of the ways that God disciplines us is, uh, is this way here. Mm, yeah, he disciplines us every now and then through circumstances. You know, God, God can use circumstances in our life to discipline us. Now, not all the time when you're sick or whenever you feel like the wheels of the bus have fallen off, and you can't go round and round anymore, all right? So whenever those situations happen in your life, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's when God has disciplined you. But whenever you are going through those seasons of your life, it would do you well to say, Lord, or is there something you're trying to reveal to me? Is there something that, that I'm doing that you're trying to teach me or to show me? Because God can use circumstances to, to discipline you and to discipline me. But then he can also use people. And he can use people that care for us to discipline us. You know, words of a friend are, could, be, could be really great tools in the hands of God to discipline us. I had a friend a few minutes ago, um, probably about 1030, a little before 1030, sent me a text, and he said, I'm praying for you today as you preach God's word. God can use words of a close friend like, like Patrick to discipline me, and he has in the past. So um, moral of the story, listen to what your better half says. God could be using them to discipline you. Listen to what your children say or what your parents say. Listen to what your, your teacher says or even to your leaders at church has to say, a Christian friend. They, they really want your best at heart. And God can use people like that to, to discipline you. And then something else God can use to discipline you is he can use the Bible and he can use your own personal prayer time to discipline you. So if you're a people of the book and you're in the book daily, God can use Scripture to discipline you. Now, don't be like some people. I shared this Wednesday night. They have the open window method to what God wants you to do in your life. 
You say, what in the world is an open window method? That's when you take God's word and you put it in, a, in an open window and when the wind blows it, it just happens to blow the pages and you, know, you take your finger and you stick it down and you say, oh, that's what God wants me to do. I heard about a guy that did that and his finger landed on this verse. Judah, Judas went and hung himself. And he thought, oh, dear, 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 dear God, no, that's not what you want me to do. He puts his Bible back in the open window and the wind blows and he sticks his finger down again and the verse said this, go and do thou likewise. He said, oh, my heavens, what in the world does God want out of my life? Surely that's not one. He puts his Bible back in the open window and it blows some more and he puts his finger down and it says this, what, whatsoever thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> Don't have that. That's not the type of, you know, Bible study that God wants you to do. But when you're in God's word, consistently and systematically I, I take it to the bank there's one thing he's going to share to you that day you say well, I don't see that well call me and I'll sit down with you one on one and, and I'll, I'll show you how I do my Bible study I, I would love to do that with you Robert or Trey would as well there's a word from God each day that he's got for you if you take time to get into his word so God can use the Bible and he can use prayer to discipline. So discipline is not, not hardly ever fun, but it reminds me how much God loves me. And then last but not least, when it comes to the grace of God, uh, by His grace, He rescues us. You see why? Because you matter to Him. Turn to somebody and say you matter to God. Boy, that was really wimpy. But anyway, yeah, God, you matter to God. So He rescues us and and, and, and I wish I could go through every uh, phrase, rather, of this passage and just kind of show you what, what Jonah's experiencing, but, but let me try, and I'll be really brief. Here in verse 5, I'm just going to walk through them, so if your Bibles are still open, follow with me. In verse 5, Jonah says, the water is closing in on me. I mean, it's, it's, choking, him, it's choking his life, and seaweed is what I'm picturing here. is just wrapped around his head. Y'all remember swimming in the ocean? It gets around your feet, and you jump up because you can't see what's in the water down there at Myrtle Beach? Yeah, well, he's, he's thinking, man, I got this stuff all around my neck, and I'm on the seafloor here. He's describing roots of the mountains, the bars of the land, and that's how they talked back in his day. They felt like the bars of the land, the grave, Sheol, is just closing in upon him. Then he says in verse 6, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7, When my life was fainting away, when surely I was dying and on my deathbed here, I remembered you, and my prayer came up to you and to your holy temple. That reminds me. I hope it reminds you. It doesn't matter the depths we might find ourselves in. Our prayers will always go up. He said, those who pray to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And he realized if you're worshiping anyone but the great I am, you're worshiping a false god heaven, and your life is empty. Your future is empty. There's no hope. Then he says in verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. In other words, I'm going to pay it forward. Salvation belongs to you, and there in the belly of that fish, this is what God's doing in this life. He recognizes that his only hope, his only salvation, is through the Lord. And he knows that God's going to see him through. Somehow, some way, God's going to see him through. And then we come to verse 10. I love verse 10, and here's why. God spoke to the fish, saying, Regurgitate. Now, we don't know what God said, all right? But we do know whatever he said to the fish, the fish understood God, and he vomited up Jonah back on the land. Hey, First Baptist Jacksonville, Florida has got the coolest children's building. On the third floor, give or take, is the fish, and um, it's a, it looks like a well, and you can go in the fish's mouth on the third floor, and you come out of the fish's mouth on the second floor. It's the coolest kid's slide around. I went down it. 
as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, a lot of preachers did. It was a lot of fun. So, so this fish vomited Jonah out on drought, dry land. You say, what did he look like? He was scary. I mean, he was as white as a sheep. Just imagine what all those gastric juices had to do to his appearance. I mean, and you're going to tell people to repent? Great day. He probably freaked out people. And not only did he look bad, he smelled bad. You think morning breath is bad. He's really smelling bad. But, but, but his heart's different. He might look bad and smell bad, but man, his heart's changed because God's done a work in his life. And if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, your heart ought to be different as well. I heard about a preacher that was preaching on grace, and he said, because of, the, because of God's grace, I can, send all I, want. I can send all I want to, but because of God's grace, I send a whole lot more than I need to. So when God touches our heart, we really should be different when it comes to sin. I don't... <laughs> I don't like a whole lot of Western movies, you know, the old school stuff. Um, I think I mentioned Tombstone. That's probably one of my favorite Western movies. But um, anyway, some of you know Western movies really good. My, my dad does. Um, he used to tell me about Lonesome Dove. I don't care a thing about Lonesome Dove. I don't want to hear about Lonesome anyway. But you might know this movie I'm about to talk to you about. Gary Cooper starred in it, and it's a movie called The Hanging Tree. Some of you have seen that movie. Cooper plays a doctor in this movie, and in the doctor, a young man gets shot, and Cooper, being the doctor, saves this guy's life, extracts the bullet from his body, stops the bleeding, saves the young man's life, and as the young man recovers, he asks Cooper's character, he says, well, hey, thank you, doc, for saving my life. What can I ever do to repay you? And Gary Cooper says this. He's like, well, I've been needing an assistant, so you can assist me. You can help me take care of people like you. You can help me take care of the sick. You can help me take care of those that were wounded. And this fellow said, um, how long do you want me to do that? And Cooper said, for the rest of your life. Because that's how long you would have been dead if I hadn't intervened in your life. So here's the question. How long would you have been lost how long would you have been dead in your sins if Jesus, by his grace, had not saved you? Can I tell you the answer? Forever. Forever. If Jesus hadn't stepped in and done for you what he did through Jonah so many years ago. So what should be our response? Well, our response should be we're going to live for him. Have you say, how long? Forever. And day by day, one foot in front of the other. As we were talking about it in 33 this morning, you eat an elephant, how? One bite at a time. So just one day at a time, sweet Jesus. One day at a time, <laughs> we put our foot forward and we serve Jesus. And, and hey, just let me close. By God's grace, man, he hears us when we call. So we need to call out to him. Don't wait till you're in a situation like Jonah. Uh, by his grace, he disciplines us because we matter to him even when we fail him. We matter to him. And then by God's grace, um, because we matter to him, he saved us. So we owe him our life. Let me ask you to bow your head, every head bowed and every eye closed. With our heads bowed and... Um, was just thinking about what God has said to us today through his song and through his word. 
I would love to encourage those of you here that are believers just to whisper a prayer to God in your heart and just say, Lord, thank you for your grace. Would you do that just now? If you're a child of God, just thank God for the grace that he gives you. You know, you may not have ever been in a deep place like Jonah in the belly of a fish, but you maybe, maybe have been in situations or in times of your life where you really felt like you were in the deep, separated from God's grace. Tell God through prayer right now that you're thankful he didn't give up on you, but that he cast you a line called grace. So just take a moment thanking God for his grace. And then I would encourage you to, uh, to thank him. Y'all do that right now, okay? In prayer, just thank him and praise him for working in your life and giving you his amazing grace. You know, maybe, maybe right now you're going through a time of discipline. And maybe for you, your prayer need to be, needs to be this, this prayer. Lord, help me to see what you want to accomplish in my life. I feel like you're disciplining me. I feel like I'm going through discipline. So Lord, let me hear your voice so that I know what you would want me to do. To live a life that pleases you, to live a life that glorifies you. You know, maybe you're here today and you feel like, you know, you're not doing anything for the Lord. You're holding back, serving him. Maybe uh, you're kind of being rebellious like Jonah. He's gifted you. He's given you time. He's given you talents. He's given you treasure. What are you doing in terms of using them for God's glory? Father, thank you for speaking to us today. Help us not to be like Jonah in terms of being a rebellious prophet. But Lord, more than anything, help us to be a prophet like Jonah who has a heart through discipline that's turned back to you. So, Lord, may we repent of, of our sins and of our shortcomings and our failures. And may we, Lord, have a desire in our heart like Jonah to, uh, to pay it forward and to be the man, to be the woman, to be the person after God's heart so that we can make a difference in our lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our town, wherever you open doors. Lord, we thank you for your grace.